and welcome to episode 59 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange, Office 365 and Skype for Business podcast. Today's episode was recorded on the 7th of August 2016, and I'm your host, Steve Goodman, Office Servers and Services MVP. Uh, today I'm joined by my co-host Dave Stork. Hi Dave. Hi, good evening or afternoon or morning. Well, it's good evening here. It's uh, half past nine in the evening uh, on a lovely Sunday night. And we're joined by recently crowned MVP, Gareth Goodger, a.k.a. Super Tech Boy. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, glad to be here and uh, happy Sunday. Why, thank you. So tell me, te- or te- tell us a little bit about yourself for those who don't know you. Yeah, uh, so my name's Gareth Gudger, uh, Super Tech Boy on the, uh, on the Twitters. And I uh, uh, also have a blog out there called supertechboy.com. Have been in the industry for, I was going to say, gosh, it feels like about 20 years now. And uh, actually in a consulting capacity for just about most of that. I, I think I've been consulting for about 15 or 16 years now. Uh, learned pretty quickly that I, I like to see different environments and different problems and different people and uh, uh, grew, grew that love of consulting pretty uh, pretty quickly and have uh, um, uh, you know always te- always been a Microsoft uh, consultant always focusing on Microsoft business technologies. So what and, was your uh, first version of Exchange then? Uh, I the, the first version I saw was 5.0. Um, 5.5 was probably the first one I really administered, and then uh, so we know what vintage you are then. Yeah, yeah, and then as far as the uh, um, the actual the migration started probably around the Exchange 2000 free time. Yeah. Uh, so up until that point, really just a, an administer or administrator of, of Exchange environments. Oh, cool. Uh, that, that sounds quite similar to, to my own path in a way. Uh, yeah, my, my first admin experience hands-on was, was 5.5 as well. Uh, and I first got introduced with version 5. Uh, and there's, there's some of us out there, especially you know, the likes of Tony Redmond and so on, who've been doing it a lot longer. Uh, but still, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a long way back. See, when you said you're a super tech boy, I always imagined that you were like a bit younger. But clearly not, uh, you know, a well-seasoned consultant. Uh, so one of the reasons why you got, we, we got you on, and we've been trying to get you on for a while before you became an MVP, which really goes to underline that uh, we're not just having you on because you're an MVP, but you pretty much, you know, you, you've been out there uh, on Twitter blogging for quite a while now. Uh, and we wanted to get your perspective on, you know, things that are, are happening with Exchange and Office 365 uh, and the direction of things. Uh, so... Uh, I'm guessing then you started with Office 365 maybe you know, four or five years ago um, as Exchange 2003 to 2010 type migration started to peter out. Would that be right? Yeah, I felt like it was actually a little bit later for me. Um, I, and I think it might have just been a matter of you know the company I, I had worked for at the time, what they were comfortable with selling. I, I felt like it was around the 2010 time yeah. uh, that I started. And it seemed like I'm, uh, you know, around then it was mostly uh, very small businesses that were migrating towards it. Um, so I felt like I ran into uh, a lot of cutover migrations around the 2010 time frame. It was a lot of people trying to get off O3 and going straight yeah. to Office 365. And um, yeah, definitely a lot of very small businesses around that time frame that, that I was uh uh, running into that we're doing that. Um, I, I feel like a lot of the or, large organizations came a lot later. Um, you know, quite a few years later, um, I started to see more large organizations saying, "Hey, we're seeing all these small businesses; they're having success. You know, let's let's uh, look at this ourselves." So, what's the point for you when you thought, 
okay, this this isn't just some sort of passing phase. Uh, this is this is where the future is. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I definitely uh, um, embraced it. I think from the beginning. Um, well, when I say beginning, I'm not going to say B parts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I'd say I'd say the Wave 14 uh, version um, yeah. was was really when I started to embrace it. Um, it. It seemed like a solid platform, and it seemed just like the right decision for small businesses. I mean, for companies that were kind of running on that SBS 03 type model or SBS 08 model. Um, and you know, and they and they just you know they really didn't need to be uh, in the email business or running the email server in house. Um, you know, it made a lot of sense for those guys to go to Office 365. Um, and I ran into a number of uh, situations because it seemed like um, for a while there, uh, you know, obviously cloud backups were starting to become all the rage. Um, and there was a lot of uh, clients that I ran into around that time frame that we found it was cheaper to go to Office 365 than it was to actually try and back up their exchange data to the cloud. Um, so it, it almost became a no-brainer. You know that that's that's so true. A lot of the 2010 implementations, the the limiting factor on quotas was not the amount of storage space that they had available, but it was what they could back up uh, and keep for the amount of time that they wanted to keep it for. Uh, and yeah, that you moved to Office 365, and that that's just not a that's that's just not a big issue. Uh, so going going back to the, the current, then. So what what sort of what, what sort of migrations are you working on these days? Yeah, it seems like each year kind of has a, uh, you know, um, it, it seems like with each year we, we see a different kind of migration. Um, I'd say this year, um, I'm seeing, a, I'm definitely seeing a lot of 10 to 16, um, but even more specifically, I'm seeing a lot of uh, people that are on uh, 2010 hybrid uh, with maybe all or some of their mailboxes in the cloud, and now they're saying, hey, we see that 2016 is a lot similar management interface to Office 365. Uh, we want to get our 20, you know, we want to get our on-prem servers up to 2016, and I'm actually seeing quite a few of those projects this year. So it's, uh, you know, it's not just your typical exchange migration. It's your, yeah, we're going to upgrade from 10 to 16. Uh, oh, and we also have hybrid. Yeah, I've heard the same, you know, a, a lot where people are going to continue to keep either 2010 just for the well, uh, the hybrid servers for the management. They're considering replacing those with 2016, but especially when it's going to be long-term hybrid, uh, then the goal is either if they're on 2007, ideally do a double hop onto 2016, or obviously if they're on 2010, then just make the, the full jump and move the remaining infrastructure to 2016. Uh, and, you know, we, we are seeing more... 2016 to, from 2010 migrations out there as well, which is a bit of a surprise because I know that compared to the, the number of, of mailboxes and organizations in Office 365, there's a vastly larger number uh, of, of organizations that are still running Exchange 2010 on-prem, uh, but they're just not as visible really, you know, because they're there, you know, they're on a reasonably stable platform and you don't hear from them unless they're planning to, to migrate to a newer version. And I think we're only getting to the, the beginning of, of, of those 2010 organizations deciding what do they move to? Do they move to 2016? Do they move to Office 365? Um, you know, Microsoft will want them to go to, to, to Office 365, but what will they do? Uh, I mean, do you think we're going to see a resurgence of Exchange on-prem migrations? Uh, or is 
or, or do you reckon it's going to continue to Office 365? Yeah, I think the scales are definitely tipping towards Office 365. Um, I'm definitely doing a lot more hybrid or um, you know straight to Office 365 migrations uh, than on-prem. I, I still do run into the occasional on-prem. Um, I've actually uh, had one early, uh, much earlier this year, uh, and it was a, it was actually a 2003 to 2010 migration. Um, so there is the, the, you know, there's still oh, yeah. companies out there. I, I'm still running into a couple of those. I actually just had an email uh, the other day about somebody going from 03 to 10. So um, I, I currently have a major project with several exchange environments migrating to to 2010. So yeah. So what? Why did they pick to go to 2010? And not uh, they've got a license 2016. Yeah, and, and and it's really just the stepping stone. Um, the one I the one I saw it was um, you know 03. Actually, and I take it back, it was a little more than that. It was 03 and 07 to 10. Um, uh, you know, and then the plan was obviously to eventually go to 16. So, uh, but I felt like that that potentially that stepping stone might be yeah. sometime still. So, yeah, I'm I, I'm aware of some organisations it can take them you know a year to move to 2010 fully, uh, especially if they're going to do that migration bit themselves. Which of course you know if it's if it's an Office 365, then you've got the fast track centre to to help uh, along the way, and you just don't get that on prem. Uh, I remember a lot of the 2010 migrations I did uh, you would cause the, because you you know the, the, the client you're working with wouldn't want to have to have you on site to migrate you know mailboxes every night um, you would leave them to do that bit on their own and it could take a long long time uh, until they got back to you well, well coming, coming back to, to the, the, the kind of migrations you see um, the yeah, I, I can. And I think that, um, especially when uh, Exchange Party 2007 will be out of support, so we still have half a year, three quarters of a year, something like that. Um, so I think that that will also get, get. We will see a lot of those pop up again uh, and migrate. And currently, just like Gareth, I have a major project with 2003 to 2010. Uh, and then uh, either uh, on-prem 2016 or Office uh, 365. So I'll, I'll, I'm guessing that that kind of scenarios will be uh, more prevalent in the coming months, year, years. Mm. Yeah, and, and last year was interesting as well because um, I don't know what you guys saw, but for me last year it was a lot of 07 to 13 migrations. Um, did you guys see similar uh, scenarios? Yeah, well, it, it, it well. It's varied, uh, but mostly 2007 and 2010 to uh, either Exchange Online or um, 2013 was quite popular uh, still. Um, but uh, the, 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 a lot of smaller projects are directly to Exchange Online, um, and, and when they have a, a older non-supported uh, Exchange uh, version or something like that, then they'll uh, use for party tools to migrate and just be done with it with their on-prem situation. Yeah, it, but it's it, mo- mostly the smaller companies that uh, take that route. Yeah, it is it's interesting because I, I think sometimes uh, it can vary depending on your perspective. You know, especially the sort of work that you do probably brings more of the same kind of work. Uh, so yeah, uh, my my employer, uh, our, our CEO, uh, is described as 
spot on the register often. Whenever they mention him, they call him Cloud Poster Boy Tim Wallace. Um, and that kind of describes probably the kind of work that gets pushed our way because we're, we're really well known in the UK for being really good at Office 365. So because of that, I think a lot of the work that we, we've had from 2007 is to Office 365 rather than to Exchange 2013, even though we're um, you know, a messaging gold partner. Uh, well, you know, the, the vast majority from Microsoft and from, uh, and from word of mouth and things like that will be to Office 365. So sadly, I've, I've not seen as many 2013 migrations as I, I hope to. You know, most of those have been to online. Uh, so that that's why it seems you know unusual to me that I'm seeing more on-prem work come our way um, than than we're used to. Yeah, and with that, I think we'll move on onto the exchange topics for today. So uh, we've got some we've got less news than we had in the last episode, and that's good, uh, mainly because it's the summer, uh, and secondly because we're back in the routine of doing the episodes again. Um, so only two weeks has passed since the last episode, and there's only been a few stories in the exchange world. Um, but one of them is an absolutely amazing opportunity for you to help test uh, public folder migration to Exchange Online with Microsoft. Um, so uh, has anyone been involved in one of Microsoft's uh, technology adoption programs? Uh, no, no, but um, I do get the same information uh, as, as being an MVP. You have to access to the same information and stuff like that. So I know how that typically works. Um, uh, you get access to newest builds and, and you test them. and then uh, In your production you environment. In your production environment, exactly. So, um, but uh, that that means that you can have uh, a lot of um, issues. But that also means that you have a short uh, short line, uh, very good contact with Microsoft today, and uh, especially the product product group. So they'll help you immediately if you have any uh, business issues uh, because of a downtime or something like that. So um, it. it so it's a it's an interesting way to help Microsoft, but also help yourself and influence the product. For instance, uh, in a, in a in a way you want to see it uh, grow yeah. into. So, uh, so it has it has downsides, obviously, and you you run into more risk. But you know, there are also a lot of benefits. Um, and um, uh, I've never uh, participated in that program, but it's uh, uh, something I've I've. Uh, kind of been interested in all unfortunately no no customers that uh, were uh, good targets for that so that's the thing when you're on the, the partner side or consultancy side it's it's hard to be involved uh, in those programs uh, without having a willing customer uh, I, I was quite lucky uh, what is uh, you know five or, or six years ago to be involved in uh, the 2010 uh, era tap and that that was that that was useful uh, but this is this is one where i think if you were looking to do this kind of migration then you don't have much choice um but to either participate or, or wait for them to, to finish and bring it out uh, and yeah. because it's one of those complex areas uh where yeah. you might need something special uh, it's um, well, and, and just just to clarify uh this now we're talking about the the um, public full migration from Exchange 2013-2016 on premises to Exchange Online. Yeah, which um, is with the native tools not possible right now. Yeah, exactly, um, and and therefore this is also a little bit different kind of tap 
program because this is a, this has a nothing to do with the specific version of Exchange or a new version of Exchange or, or something like that, but uh, this is a migration method, specifically the public folder migration. And that has been a, a, um, a sore eye for a lot of organizations that have public folders, still rely on public folders, and, and, and were already migrated to Exchange 2013 or even 2016, and then uh, encountered that there wasn't an official supported way to migrate to Exchange Online of their public folders. Yeah, uh, and I think there's th there's going to be two camps there. There's going to be people who uh, move to 2013 or 2016 public folders knowing full well that they were expecting either a long-term hybrid or expecting perhaps never to migrate those public folders to the cloud. Uh, at least not you know not soon uh, and people who had moved to 2013 thinking they were staying on prem and then have had a change of heart uh, and at the moment the only other option is third party tools like those from binary tree uh, so it sounds like a good tap to participate in to be honest uh, because you're going to get a lot out of it uh, if if this is something that's important to you um, because exactly. you know public folders are one of those things where users often like them but we don't. <laughs> no, I, I've been very, very successful in migrating them away into oblivion. Um, so <laughs> that's another reason that this tab program isn't really uh, something I have customers for. Um, because most of my customers don't have any public folders left there. So and that, that is also a good a way to get rid of them just in to take an inventory and see if you can convert them to shared mailboxes or something on, on SharePoint or something well, like that. But well, that's the thing. If you haven't heard about it, there's also uh, this this uh, company, Quadratech, who I reviewed their archive migration software, and it's pretty good. Um, and they do public folders to Office 365 migration software. But unlike the binary tree software, they do something... Uh, a little special, and they, they let you analyze the public folders and then pick where it goes, which might be a shared mailbox, or it might be Office 365 groups, which... Oh, I didn't know that. No, it's, that it's sounds cool. interesting. So, yeah. yeah, so the, the, the Quadratech tool, and this isn't something, you know, uh, I'm, I don't have any affiliation to them. Uh, I reviewed their tools for msexchange.org, uh, but I haven't looked or had any hands-on with the groups product. But it does sound interesting because you wouldn't want all your public folders to end up in Office 365 groups. Can you imagine, you know, if you if, if you had 100,000 public folders and they were going to turn into 25,000 groups, that would be a bit crap. Uh, but if you wanted um, 100 of those or 200 of those to end up as Office 365 groups and it move all the data into the right places, then the Quadratech tool makes you know a lot of sense. Uh, as I understand it, it's not out yet, um, but it's another option. So it might be that joining this tap isn't the best thing and you should look at third-party tools, but if you just want those public folders into Office 365 as is, and you don't want to have to unwind them into shared, shared mailboxes and so on, then this is this is for you. Uh, because after that point, you no longer have to worry about public folder mailboxes and you know and so on. Uh, you know, it's it becomes Microsoft's responsibility to to worry about the back end. Uh, yeah, and I, and I and I think this is massive news. I remember when this was announced. Um, I guess it was just last week. Uh, just just seeing Twitter light up. I mean, there was so much. Um, joy it seemed like from the mvps <laughs> when this news came out because i agree it's been such a sore point you know it's like i always thought it was a dirty little secret 
Yeah, yeah it's it, it, it's oh, yeah. Like, how many people if you had a room full of 100 people planning to move to Office 365 and they'd done, you know, they they'd spent a week planning it, um uh, how many of those would know that they couldn't do this? I bet you a fair few wouldn't have realized it. Yeah, and it always seemed to, you know, it's like, you know, the argument was, was, well, you can take legacy, but you can take modern. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially now that, you know, that the modern public folder is basically a mailbox. You're almost kind of thinking, well, couldn't it just be almost like a mailbox move, or couldn't they get around it some way that way? Um, so, yeah, I think the lack of native support was, uh, was always a little surprising that it wasn't there for the modern um, you know, and just looking at that process uh, and explaining to the you know your clients and customers, you know, this is what you're going to have to do if you want to use the native tools. You're you're basically doing a, a glorified export import, and you're going to lose permissions, and you're going to have to mail enable things, and it, it's not going to be pretty. Um, so yeah, definitely, and and I believe the. Uh, um, referencing uh, Tony and Paul's book out there again, uh, the Office 365 uh, uh, for IT professionals. I think they actually mentioned that Binary Tree actually does currently offer the uh, um, you know, put, putting the public folders into Office 365 groups mm. currently. So I, I believe it's there. Um, but yeah, uh, but definitely, uh, definitely the check out the check downside out the of partners. the downside of third-party tools is they cost money, and if you've you know if you've got other things you need to spend money on, like enterprise vault migrations or spending the money on and training users to use all the cool new tools in Office 365, right? Then do you want to have to buy a third-party tool or do you want to use the stuff that comes free from Microsoft or, or you've already paid for, right? So there's, you know, there's there's plus sides and downsides to both. Uh, before we move on, I noticed yeah. that the fact that we're recording an episode every two weeks, given that we're a bi-weekly podcast, is causing some surprise. I mean... Uh, it shouldn't surprise anyone that we're recording a podcast after, after only two weeks. Sean Harry on Twitter is surprised. Blimey, that was quick. <laughs> well, what did you expect? So, what, we were going to leave you for another few months? No. No, we're, we're back for good. Like, take that. Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, focused inbox. Uh, so, who's heard about this? <laughs> well, j- just a little remark about the tap. Uh, program uh, for public folders. So it's, just to be clear, it's only for public folders from modern public folders to a change of line, and it's a tap program. So it, it's just in testing phase, and Microsoft is looking for customers with uh, l- less than 250 gigs of data. Did so you, if you did, you wreck my link. <laughs> Sorry, you wreck my link. I was, I was into the next bit. <laughs> oh well, moving on. Okay, so he, he's told you that. We can leave it in. Um, so, um, Focused Inbox. Um, who's heard of Focused Inbox? I have. Yeah, yeah, I saw, I saw that come across, on, I think, on the Office 365 blog. It's, uh, I guess, gradually going to kill clutter, right? So, uh, <laughs> I don't... I thought clutter was supposed to kill clutter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, well, this is the only feature that I've switched. Do you use the Office mobile app, uh, well, the Outlook mobile app on your phone? I, I don't, but it, it looks Ooh. like I'm assuming the focused uh, inbox is currently coming from uh, the the accompli purchased app. I'm, I'm assuming that's where it's coming from. Yeah. Uh, now the reason I yeah. don't is because I'm that one of those one percenters that use a Windows phone. <laughs> really? Well, don't laugh that diabolical. <laughs> 
But I didn't know you could still get them. You're in a minority right now because I'm also a Windows Phone user. <laughs> well, there's the, the, the best first. I've got an Android device, yeah. and I love it. You know what I can do with my Android device? I can put it in the sink. You can't do it. That, I bet you wish you could do that with yours, but then you wouldn't have a phone. Uh, it'd be more useful if you did that. But you see, with mine, I can put it in the sink, and it still carries on working. In fact, the, uh, the, if I, the, if the I didn't want to get beer on my uh, desk, I'd pour beer over it right now. The good news with Windows Phone is, is I don't have to become addicted to Pokemon Go, so I'm really liking that fact right now. <laughs> Actually, we walked around Costco earlier. My daughter, uh, my lovely seven-year-old daughter, and this is how, how great a dad I am, uh, she just walked around Costco um, using Pokemon Go, catching them. Apparently, I'm on level four now, uh, and I've never even played it. <laughs> uh, so you don't get any games, no, do you? Um, but <laughs> you don't get Focus Inbox. You don't get uh, any of this good stuff. Um, uh, But if you... Eventually, then, that means you'll get it, because it is coming to the full Outlook app, which might mean it will come to the Windows 10 mobile app as well at some point uh, in time. Um, So to to explain to you guys who are using, you know, inferior phones, uh, the... The focus inbox is like clutter, um, but it gives you a button at the top. So I go into my Outlook mobile app, and instead of just having my inbox, I've got uh, my focus inbox, which is like clutter, but um, it doesn't require um, you to go into a separate folder. It's like a view of the mailbox. Uh, so it shows me anything that, that I should focus on. Uh, so it takes out all the clutter, but it also takes out stuff that wouldn't normally go into your clutter folder, like mail to distribution groups or uh, messages from Amazon. Uh, so it's a bit more than clutter on its own. Uh, and then um, when you look in your other view of your inbox then you get all your stuff so i'm looking at mine now and i've got messages from you dave saying we're recording today uh, and then when i look in my other then i've got stuff that is a, that i do actually want uh rather than you know clutter which is like junk mail version 2.0 so i've got you know booking emails and i've got billing statements um and but it's it's just trimming down my focused inbox to stuff that really matters. And that's what's coming from the mobile apps into the Outlook full desktop client. Uh, it's, and it's, basi- it's basically uh, the, the inverse of clutter. Uh, the, the clutter is just the not important mail and focus is focuses on the important mail. Is, it a, is that correct uh, yeah. assessment? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you've got clutter switched on now, then focused inbox won't be automatically switched on for you. Uh, so I believe you can then opt into it. Uh, and I think there'll be a point where going forward you'll get focused inbox as your default. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's coming to you. Uh, and one of the other things that was announced at the same time uh, is uh, some, something called app mentions in the Outlook client as well. Uh, so has anyone used app mentions in Office 365 Groups or OWA? I haven't yet, but I was reading on that, and actually I really like the idea of that feature that, um, you know, potentially you could shoot an email out to 10 people, um, and, and you can give each one of those people a different at mention, and uh, what they see in their preview, um, they'll, they'll see that at mention to them in the preview, and I really like the, you know, because in the traditional clients, you would always see in the preview the first few lines of the message, um, but I like with the at mention, the at mention is mentioned first now in the preview, Um you know the message preview. I think that's a really, really nice feature. It kind of, kind of gives people their action items right out in front. Uh, that is really cool. You see, uh, I was a little bit skeptical about the idea of it, but that makes a lot of sense. 
because when you write an email, you think, who am I going to send this to? And then you put in the content. Um, but when you're at mentioning, then that would indicate that you'd do it the other way around and you'd write your message and as you're talking, you'd at mention people and bring them in. Um, but I see the point of that then. You know, if that shows up in the previews and they only need to potentially see what's relevant, then that makes sifting through your email a lot easier. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really nice feature. Well, it's it's something that people already are, are uh, accustomed to due to social media and, and Facebook and, and uh, Twitter. You have that principle as well. So uh, it's probably an extension towards that just mm. to get the same uh, way of working and communicating in, in Exchange or Outlook. Um, I think ultimately this, uh, it needs to be reliable because I've used it in OWA in groups and I started to, I was showing you know someone as a demo and I had mentioned a person's name and it didn't do it and then as I went to delete and try again it did it and it, it took you know three or four seconds um, to get there whereas in Yammer it would be pretty much instant uh, so I think it's got, it's got to be super reliable you know if it's going to grab me Oh, I haven't had any any real issues with it, but I haven't tried it yet that much. Uh, but I do see uh, already um, the mentions tab in my Outlook 2016 client. Um, so it's it's not just the uh, mobile devices. Or oh, no, that, that was your remark about the focused inbox. Sorry. Um, so yeah, so I I'm not seeing a mentions tab actually. Uh, no, what, um, well, you have in Outlook, you have the all and red, and then you ha now have, at least in, in one of my installations, I have mentions as well. So you can sort Ooh. through um, your mentions in your Outlook 2016 client. Uh, funny thing is is that my other, uh, my laptop also has uh, Outlook 2016, and it doesn't have that feature. So, yeah, I, th I think it's new because it might be first released because I, I – believe in the article uh it was going to be ga in september uh so i'm assuming it's in first release right now for a lot well, of outlook or it's the september update for outlook 2016 yeah. that's going to do it maybe so my client i'm using is first release for deferred channels so uh but that's tied to my work account so i, I think i'd have to to switch over yeah, to my, well, my other one uh, both both of my tenants uh, my work tenants and, and my personal tenants are both are in first release um but Maybe that there's a tenant rollout still happening, so uh, or something like that. So I'm not sure what's happening there. And, and uh, so it it could uh, pop up in your Outlook 2016 or or not, but probably um, in the coming months. Uh, either way, yeah. Either way, it's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. I think what's interesting as well is uh, the focused inbox and the app mentions, I believe, are even coming to uh, Outlook.com users. Uh, so any of those Outlook.com users that have kind of moved over to the uh, under the Office 365 umbrella and have that new interface, um, they're supposed to get the focused inbox and uh, app mentions as well. Hmm. It wouldn't surprise me, though, because it's uh, not, not that long ago they moved them over to using the OWA interface but to the old you know outlook.com back end uh, so it would make a lot of sense if they continue to get those features as well uh, a less a slightly less interesting announcement uh, and dotnet but it's important uh, .NET framework 4.6.2 has been announced um, so 
my understanding is you shouldn't install this on your Exchange servers. Is that right, Dave? Well, um, as as long as it's not mentioned as being supported in the Exchange portability matrix, and currently it isn't mentioned as being supported, so for the time being, don't install .NET Framework 4.6.2 on your Exchange servers and probably as well on your uh, Skype for Business servers uh, and uh, SharePoint servers, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure where the dependencies are. Um, but uh, uh, check for... Um, Supportability uh, before installing 4.6.2. Yeah, and I think as uh, at the time of uh, this podcast, uh, 4.6.2 is still in preview, right? No, no, it, it's uh, generally available um, since two days or something like that. Ah, missed that announcement then. <laughs> Uh, yeah, was that that's, the second? that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. um, so, well, but by the time that it gets edited and released, um, it, it'll be old news. <laughs> Uh, Outlook, oh, this is our last exchange sort of topic for today before we move on to another one. And Outlook for Mac's public folders um, is now uh, something that can happen. Who knew? I, I didn't. This was one that came through as a last minute topic from Dave. Uh, so, current scenario Outlook for Mac, public, Outlook for Mac clients could not access public folders uh, if there was coexistence with legacy public folders, um, although we're using modern public folder access in a hybrid uh, topology. Uh, and as of the April 2016, um, those above scenarios now work. Has this been of use to any of your customers yet? Um, as I've been very successful in uh, phasing out public folders, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of a lot of problems with Outlook for Mac, and this isn't one that people have complained about to me. Uh, they've had more problems with calendars and things like that uh, on, on Outlook for Mac itself. Um, but yeah, so hybrid and uh, legacy public folder coexistence seem to be the two scenarios that this one covers. Cool. Well, it, it, it's too bad that the Outlook for Mac client is always a bit lagging behind the, the Windows uh, client, uh, the Outlook 2016 client. Uh, for instance, uh, the support for uh, Office 365 groups isn't there in Outlook for Mac. So, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel, although I don't have a Mac and don't use Outlook for Mac, but still, I uh, feel your pain. Uh, I, I think we should take bets on how long it's going to be before Focused Inbox appears. Uh, I reckon... <laughs> well, get, given they've not got a proper Skype for Business client yet, I'm reckoning sometime in late 2018 they'll get it. Anyone want to advance me on that? No. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's the next version? Outlook for Mac 2018, are we going to go with that? I was amazed that they did an Outlook 2016 for Mac, so... Uh, that was a little out of character. Uh, to me, it still seems like it's entourage with a, a fancy skin put on it. It doesn't feel like um, something completely fresh and new. Um, I don't know. It's just, um, but, you know, if, if it was a proper port, maybe I feel differently. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm just happy if people, uh, you know, want to use Outlook for Mac 2016. As long as it's not, please make my Mac mail work with Exchange, I'm happy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, next topic, Microsoft Bookings. So, has anyone read about this? 
I've, I've read a little bit about it. Uh, so basically, it's an, an sort of a um, uh, offering you can uh, put on your website so that uh, customers can make a booking with one of your consultants or something like that. Uh, so um, and that um, might be helpful for, for, um, for instance, uh, Office 365 small business uh, small businesses that use Office 365. Uh, and don't have, want to have a, a complete website with, with uh, booking software and stuff like that that is disjointed from your Exchange environment. And as I understand it, it it's, it's integrated in your whole tenant. So um, that yeah. could be uh, interesting for a lot of uh, 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 companies that deal with uh, appointments with customers. Yeah, so as I understand it, it's only going to be initially available for Office 365 business premium customers. Um, but yeah, so the idea is even if you haven't moved your mailboxes to the cloud, it's not you know an exchange feature. You know, it's a pure Office 365 cloud feature. Uh, people can make bookings, and it is aimed at those kind of small businesses. So you can't. You, I can't imagine that you would use it to to book a you know a British Gas to come and service your boiler. Um, but perhaps if you've Going by the example on their website, uh, Contoso Pet Grooming, um, you think, oh, I think I need to get my pussy trimmed. Um, And you make a booking to go and get your pussy trimmed at Contoso Pet Grooming um, with Laurel Tyler, and um, she trims your pussy for $50 uh, on Wednesday, July the 14th uh, for 30 minutes. Uh, And once you've done that, you can reschedule, cancel, or make a new booking. So it seems perfect for those kind of scenarios uh, where you might want to log into a website and make a booking with, you know, a small business owner. Uh, So, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it it kind of makes sense that it's only available for Office 365 business premium subscribers and not not for the enterprise uh, 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 subscribers. Mm. So... Yeah. Because something like that would seem like quite an incomplete feature for enterprise, but for small business, it's perfect. Uh, It's like there's uh, a a forms offering uh, for education. But when we had a look at the functionality, um, you know, at my employer, it wouldn't meet the same functionality we'd need for for doing the sort of analysis we do for user surveys. But it would be perfect for a school. Uh, and I think that's a, a cool, you know, the, the, the right thing to do to to build a new service, and if it's suitable for a certain market, release it to that market rather than just give it to everybody, uh, because it'd be very easy for something like this to be oversold to a larger organisation, right? Uh, and that was our one Office 365 topic for today. That's like hardly any, uh, which is unusual because usually there's a smorgasbord of Office 365 topics. I must admit, we've thrown a few into Exchange and um, Skype as well, really, uh, because it kind of all matches in together. Uh, so we've got a discussion topic here uh, from Moses, um, not the Moses, I think, but perhaps just a chap called Moses. Uh, And he asked us, based on our discussions and the trend in the industry, it is apparent that redirecting one's attention and skills towards the cloud is perhaps the best way to remain relevant in the industry. Cloud PBX seems to be the hot one right now. Incidentally, I'm not able to find a way for someone to acquire those skills privately, except for when you work for an organisation that already has the infrastructure in place, in, in the infrastructure in place, uh, 
Please, do you know how one can learn these things without spending huge money on infrastructure or playing on a production network that has that set up already? So, Cloud PBX is something he wants to learn about. Uh, how do you do it if you haven't got the kit uh, or you're not working for a company that, that's doing it? Well, um, um, my, my expertise is definitely not in Skype or Skype for business. Um, I, I tend to stay away from tele telephony. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, I would approach this. Um, there are two ways to approach this. Um, uh, depending on, on your relationship with, uh, or, or what kind of work you do, uh, me as a consultant, I can ask my employer for, for, uh, extra resources, testing, research and development. So that is one way to get the, um, um, either the infrastructure, the test infrastructure or, um, the, the finances to, uh, make that happen. Um, and the other way is just to pay for it yourself. Uh, and well, uh, I personally have an Office 365 tenant um, for personal use, but I also have a test tenant that I use. And additionally, uh, sometimes I, I, I uh, purchase some, some uh, services from that. So I think that uh, it's uh, for specifically Cloud PBX, I think it's um, there are some solutions, uh, some free uh, uh, things you can use, but um, maybe maybe you know those uh, because I don't know. I, uh, I can only t uh, talk into general terms. I was going to say that sounded a little vague. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth, what do you, Gareth, what, what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I'm with Dave. I'm not much of a Skype person either, but um, you know, I think it comes down to you know what what are you going to do for a lab? Uh, you know, in any regard. I mean. Um, you know, I, I certainly have a, a lab I have in my house that, you know, I've got a, I think a DL380 G5 running in my basement nice and loud, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's just, uh, you know, you, you definitely got to put some investment into, uh, into your own learning and education. And I, I think that, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, putting money into a lab at home or paying for, you know, uh, maybe just one or two seats of Office 365, um, you know, or, or maybe if, if you're into Azure, if you, if you, you know, you're just spending maybe a hundred bucks at Azure a month, I think it's just, uh, you know, it's a matter of doing that. And, uh, you know, uh, that's just an investment back into yourself. Uh, so if your employer doesn't have it, uh, yeah. you, you kind of got to go get it yourself. Well, yeah, that's, that's very true. You know, you can't just, you, you can't, you can't expect all this to, to come for free. Um, and, Azure is perfect for doing some of it, but but not all of it. So, so, so to, to to agree with what you say, and it's easy for me to say this because my employer gives me or gives us as a team an Azure subscription with a hundred pound a month that we can spend, you know, build up services and connect them in. As a Microsoft partner, we have E5 licensed, so we get to test out all of this stuff. Um, and at home, I've got a you know a server, not a DL580 like yours, um, but um, something a little less um, <laughs> cool, uh, sitting in my garage doing all this sort of stuff and acting as our tech server. Um, but it's the yeah. stuff that you know I, I do all my articles off. Uh, so I, I need to have that stuff as the base. Um, you know, so the stuff I do outside of work, uh, like this, uh, articles and so on, I do all of, all of those on that hardware. And um, Jeff Gillett has written uh, you know a blog on how to 
put together you know a cheap lab server and you can for less than a thousand dollars put something really really cool together um, that builds you the on-prem bit without having to, to to do anything in azure now although skype for business isn't supported in azure you can you can use it in Azure for building out um, test infrastructure. And if you don't have a penny, then you could get a trial subscription and build out that bit. And then combine that trial subscription with a trial subscription to Office 365 E5. Uh, because those that, those are the two bits that you need to, to test out Cloud PBX, right? You need an Office 365 subscription with E5. Uh, and if that's just one license you have to pay for, if you need it longer than a month, then that's one license to pay for, um, to test it all out. And the second thing you need is something on-prem. And on-prem can mean fake virtual machines in Azure, running Skype for Business hybrid, or it can mean a $300 or whatever server that's running Hyper-V and you've downloaded and installed Cloud Connector Edition. Uh, and that, that gives you the bits you need to put all this together. You also need an internet connection with at least one public-facing IP that you can put uh, the edge services onto. Uh, and pretty much any domestic internet service comes with that. Uh, the, only, the only bit that's really hard to come by is a SIP trunk. Uh, and you might have to pay for that. Uh, and it might cost you... £50 or less a month in UK money. Um, it might be something that you could convince uh, a SIP provider to give you a trial for, especially if your employer might use them in the future, uh, already use them for, for other services. Um, but if you need to route a SIP trunk to on-prem to build uh, hybrid voice that way, then you know you, you haven't got much choice. Uh, obviously, if you're doing everything in the cloud and you're doing cloud PBX with PSDN calling, then again, you can do that by buying it as a subscription service from Office 365, buy an E5 license, buy PSDN calling on top, and poof, you've got everything you need to dart in and out without any extra hardware. You don't need to do express route or anything like that um, to learn all you need to do to pass the exams or to have the experience to be able to help your organization do it. That's my yeah. opinion on it, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes companies uh, might not even realize that they have, uh, you know, those Azure credits out there. For example, I know if, uh, you know, it could be that, you know, his company has an MSDN license. And I know a lot of those MSDNs come with uh, a monthly Azure, uh, you know, like stipend or something like that. So, you know, here's 100 bucks or 100 Yeah, so they may have it. Yeah, uh, and that, that, that's all you need, really. But uh, as you said, you may have to shell out some money um, to, to do this, you know. Um, and we're quite lucky, you know, as MVPs, we get some of that. But if we want E5 licenses, we have to pay for it ourselves. You know, we don't uh, we don't get everything um, like that. Uh, you know, we have, would have to buy Cloud PBX if we wanted to set it up and test it. Uh, but it's worth doing, right? Uh, Cloud PBX, the other question, Dave didn't really, really agree when we were talking about this before the episode. Is Cloud PBX the hot one right now? See? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if well, we had Tom from Modality yeah. on, he would be like, yeah, it absolutely is. Well, if, if you're talking about cloud uh, in general, if, if the shift from on-premises to cloud, uh, my, my remark was, was a little bit more nuanced than, than you would let to uh, believe our listeners. But uh, it, it, 
um, I think that the question is is is, is from a Skype perspective or a, a Skype for business perspective, and then yeah, I could, I could see that cloud PBX is a big thing, uh, but. When you are a IT professional and you you wondering about well, I'm I'm doing on-prem things now, and what what's it, what is going to be the hot thing in cloud? Well, it, well, it I think that is ever changing actually. Currently, uh, I think it's uh, what is important is the uh, bits of identity management and and, and uh, that is actually the basis of it all i think that that's very true you know that there's so much that you could choose to focus on you know if you're a skype person then and you know you're doing a lot of enterprise voice then yeah i think you know looking at cloud pbx is important for you if you want to continue in that space um but for other people you know if you're an exchange guy you're like well we're not going to be doing any of this on-prem stuff anymore then absolutely you know identity could be a new career for you uh, yeah. EMS is and, bigger and bigger. The, oh, yeah, you know, sure. There's basically a whole new E5 suite for EMS as well. Uh, and after it's been renamed Enterprise Mobility and Security, uh, it's you know it's, it's an ever expanding suite. And where I work, we have people whose careers are that, you know, or a bit of that. <laughs> uh, it's very specific, and it, there's a yeah, lot so. So, so basically, the the skill you have to learn is to adapt in the IT. That that's the, the most important thing, especially now with the on-prem shift to to the cloud. Also, but just just to um, uh, put that in is is that uh, one of the skills that is independent of of its uh, whether the the services are on-prem or are in the cloud. I believe that PowerShell. And being able to um, um, uh, script in PowerShell and automate stuff via PowerShell and, and all its related uh, libraries and, and, and additions and stuff like that, I think that that is is, is something you sh- definitely should not uh, ignore um, as an IT pro. Whether you have job uh, a job in, in, in cloud in supporting cloud services. Uh, in a Microsoft world, PowerShell is, is just sort of a f- fundamental thing, fundamental skill you, you really have to develop, in my opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, cer- certainly the, the most important thing I have learned is PowerShell. It's made a massive difference to and, and, what I can and that skill. Yeah, and and that's that that is a skill that is um, that will be whether whether the shift is from from on premises and cloud, and it, that shift has been uh, largely completed as it were in, in in I don't know ten years or twenty years. Um, there probably still will still be uh, PowerShell to manage things. So if if that's a concern uh, to to find the the hot new thing, well, the most important thing is that you ha- you gotta keep to. Uh, yeah, yeah, you have to keep adapting. Um, but one, one, if you want to have one thing that is probably going to be a lot, um, uh, a sort of a certainty, then I think PowerShell is one one of the things. Yeah. So I mean, I I know that when I started um, my career as a system admin, I was doing Unix shell scripting. If I'd chosen to continue on that path. I could still be doing it today, and I think PowerShell is is one of those. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll 
uh, just today I got uh, an app mention on back to app mentions uh, I got an app mention on LinkedIn uh, and someone was saying you know I've, I've used Steve and Paul Cunningham's blogs a lot to learn about stuff uh, the one thing that I, I really you know learned that was really important for exchange was to learn PowerShell uh, and that was just today uh, and that's absolutely true you know it it puts you head and shoulders above most of the you know point and click admins as well um, and it means that you can uh, and I uh, the, lucky John Cook isn't on this. I, it's a dirty word for some people, um, but I, I heard this at uh, a, a seminar from from someone from Google, a system admin from Google, uh, and they said, you know, they're, they're, one of the things they try and do is automate themselves at a job every eighteen months or something like that. Um, and that was, you know, a Unix uh, conference uh, that I was at. But it, it applies to, to this as well. You know, you should be looking to automate your day-to-day boring stuff and finding more interesting stuff to do. And PowerShell yeah. is the thing that enables you to do that. Yeah, and also with PowerShell, I mean, if you just look at the, uh, you know, what we've seen with, especially Exchange 2013 and 2016, you look at the number of things that um, vanished from the GUI uh, when 2013 came out, such as I think like remote domains and stuff like that, and stuff that can only now be managed uh, by PowerShell, and even more so in Office 365. I mean, the stuff in on-prem 2013 and 2016 in the GUI that isn't yeah. in the uh, Office 365 Exchange Online GUI at all. I mean, it, it's only PowerShell. So, um, and I, I'm thinking one of the well, address book policies is, is another one. I think you know, there's so many things now that have just dropped out of the uh, the GUI altogether. Uh, in favor of PowerShell. <laughs> you know, some of those I hadn't even noticed. It was really bad. Um, because, yeah, you, so, some people, uh, you know, uh, Michael Van Hormby, he says, you know, I use PowerShell for everything. Um, I, I think he said on this podcast before. Uh, and so, certain things you'll only ever use PowerShell for once you start, you know, using it. Uh, so, yeah, that's, you know, number two, PowerShell. Uh, and you'll need a bit of it for doing some of the Cloud PBX stuff. Yeah, it's definitely uh, been enjoyable when I've been writing the blog. I mean, the blog now, I, I'm pretty much, uh, uh, you know, showing every single, you know, when I'm explaining things, I'm like, well, here's how you do it for the GUI, and here's how you do it for PowerShell. And even more uh, fun, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm showing these examples, is like, this is why we do it this way with PowerShell. Um, and that's been quite enjoyable. So I think I'm going to keep doing that trend, and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun to do it. So moving on to our second Skype topic of the day, um, introducing Skype bots. Have you guys heard about Skype bots? Oh yeah, <laughs> they are fun things. <laughs> well, do, do you reckon this is a good thing or a bad thing? Bots on Skype. Uh, um, the bots on Skype. Well, I, I think that currently um, what what Microsoft has put out is in the uh, Windows 10 Skype preview, I believe, is the addition of bots. Um, basically, sort of uh, for those who know um, IRC, uh, basically that kind of box yeah. that responds to you. <laughs> and, and and but for Skype now it's, isn't Skype isn't IRC, you know? No, no, no. But so, it's sort of sort of a successor of that. But, uh, it's, but it's it, not it, even that, right? You know, what what would be a successor? Okay, okay. Um, just oh, what, just what's, what's, what is that thing that I get forced to use for uh, MS Exchange? Genix, um, what did they slack? They, that's what they signed me up to. Uh, oh I, right, to yeah, slack. yeah, and, that, and it's like it's like a bit like IRC, but not. Yeah, with like, the uh, with the Slack bot, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, uh, but, but uh, in IRC I, 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 and, and 
Yeah. I remember but, bots on IRC. I, I used to run a couple. And what would I need them for? Um, make, making sure that I had control of a room, kicking people out, um, and pointless quiz things that would do so we could, when there was only a couple of us, we could just mess around. But, what else would and, we, and what very, else do we use bots for on IRC? Very, very basic help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. So so when you joined a room, like you, you know, you you send it a command to make you an admin or whatever um, when you rejoined or whatever from a different IP uh, but so I can't see how that would apply to Skype well the, the currently the, the examples that they have is, is, is more fun fun stuff like like a quiz or, or, or something like that or um, you just make up uh, something how does uh, how does an image of uh, the, the a cat and a dog look like, and then there, there's a mix of something like that. So yeah, so I've seen some of the examples. So um, there's a Skyscanner one. Um, so you can say, "Hi, uh, show me flights from Chicago to Bermuda over Thanksgiving." And I can imagine it's like it seems like a bit a bit like Siri. Well, well, that is the, the actually the point I was going to make eventually is that. Um, now, currently, it's, it's mostly a, a, a fun factor in, in Skype, uh, but I guess this is just the um, sort of a uh, how do you say that uh, sort of a, a playing ground for Microsoft to see what works and what doesn't work, and it's, it's probably using uh, some some machine learning with it, and then um, learning from the interaction with all the Skype users, and then um, from that um, creating more. Um, other uh, really useful bots for, uh, for instance, enterprises uh, or something like that. I think that that is the, the, the uh, um, uh, uh, roadmap for, for bots. And I think that, that uh, I'm, not, I'm not very uh, clear on that anymore, uh, but I, I believe that um, the CEO of Microsoft already said that bots are have their focus uh, in the coming years. So... Mm. This is the first outing of that, I guess, uh, in, in, a, in a quite of a big way. And so, and I, I did say that most of them are, are or that those bots in Skype are uh, have a, a high fun factor. Mm. But I, I, I just tried a uh, one bot, summarize bot, for instance. You can um, say to the bot, summarize, and then enter a URL, and then uh, the bot is scanning that site and then gives a summary. Which is actually uh, pretty good. I did it with an Ars Technica article, and I was like, so "Yeah, I've seen these on like Reddit and stuff like that." Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Maybe it could give me a shitty watercolor or something. Oh, no, that's not a bot, is it? Uh, I had a look at the, the 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 thing I had a look at was the IFTTT thing um, because I, I've been using that for other stuff. Um, so it's it, if you've used. Uh, if this, then do that. Uh, it's like a rudimentary Internet of Things controller, um, in a way. Um, and that's also integrated with this Skype bot. Uh, and the, the bit I was struggling to see where I use it uh, was was as a replacement for things like push notifications and so on. Um, because I, I use it with you know stuff at home, like security cameras and that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, that would be perfect if it would... Um, begin a, a live stream of a video from the security camera if it sees somebody uh, but it doesn't seem quite there yet um, but it'd be interesting to see what it can do for 
Internet of Things enablement and so on, uh, where devices provide data uh, and they can do something more interactive than push notifications uh, through Skype, uh, especially if it's if these bots uh, are responsive to voice commands and stuff like that. You know, that that would be really cool. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if we uh, if Cortana then makes it to Skype. <laughs> yeah, it would. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that is an interesting point. Yeah, but um, it is some of some of those bots are using. I think uh, some of the elements that Cortana also uses. For instance, uh, I see. Um, for for instance, you have a Getty Images preview, so you can search for images. Well. Well, Cortana leverages that back to Bing, uh, or a, um, uh, a Your Face bot that will make a frank assessment of your face. So <laughs> <laughs> be careful when you use that. Um, but uh, there's a little note that it is powered by Microsoft Cognitive Services, <laughs> and uh, that, that that is actually uh, so. The, the, the Skype bots are currently now presented as a, as a bot, but behind that is a whole uh, infrastructure of services, in this case, the Microsoft Cognitive Services is, is something that that there are websites of, like uh, just rate my pet and and stuff like that, or how uh, how old am I, or how old is this person, and stuff like that. But that is uh, uh, that is what I uh, mentioned earlier is about the machine learning bit. The bots are just. Um, sort of an, an entry point to that machine learning and that artificial intelligence in, in cloud services, and how the, the and indeed um, has to do with Cortana. So I think that this is a, a, a uh, interesting start, uh, and this could be very well uh, be very interesting uh, when it uh, develops uh, any further. Well, that, that's you know, if it, if it can plug into Internet of Things type services, then I can see being really useful uh, on a personal level, where it can, where, where it, you can get it to do stuff instead of you having to do it. Uh, you know, my, my security camera example before, um, it you know, if can get notifications and then send them as a, to the Skype bot. Um, if it sees someone on the camera, then keep watching them and tell me how long they're there walking around. Uh, you know, uh, t- tell me. Keep recording until there's no more motion. Do things that the device, the, the device built in functionality can't do, uh, and 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 let me tell you how to do it rather than having to rely on Microsoft to do something really smart, uh, and you know design fake AI, you know do something really smart for me, based on the things I buy that all plug in to these common services that you also plug into. Uh, that that'd be cool. I mean, I know this isn't Skype for business, um, and the the bit that we have to get to is well, what what would uh, the purpose of this be uh, if it was integrated with Skype for business? Are we at a stage yet where companies will run their own bots on Skype for business for dealing with with people, um, or is you know have we got to get to a point where people actually call um, using Skype to Skype for business? Uh, federated numbers, you know, I don't think we're even there yet, are we, uh, for consumer-to-business type interaction? Yeah, it could be interesting if the bots ever get to the point, um, especially, you know, Skype for Business, if they get to the point where they're helping manage uh, conferences for your webinars or anything like that that you do over Skype, um, that, that, that could be interesting. 
as long as it if it's better than Clippy. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Say you're doing a Skype for business broadcast meeting, and you you you've got to do some weird control stuff. Uh, for example, you want it to um, start off with video, and then once you've got past the first slide, um, switch to video with the slide overlaid or something like that. You know, uh, and you want it to switch views. That'd be great if the bot could do that um, as an attendee right. to the meeting. Yeah, or just maybe uh, auto mutes people or, or exactly. something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. All, <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, all those kind of things. You could tell it to do stuff, and then it went and did it. Um, you know, to to set the rules for your meeting, um, at, but it would be there monitoring and uh, making sure that those kind of things work properly without needing to be, you know, have somebody moderating, making people presenters. If the CEO joins your meeting, make sure that um, you know he's not auto muted. Etc. 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 But everybody else is if they start rumbling on in the background. Yeah, definitely. Uh, our last one for today is from Starley Hansen, who is launching a Skype for Business survival guide on the TechNet Wiki. Um, so uh, check that out. It's supposed to have some downloads, resources, and community tools in there, and he'll be building that o- up over time. Um, so you've got your own personal survival guide. Events this week, uh, Microsoft Ignite is coming up, so check that out. Uh, join the UC Day mailing list if you're in the UK or further afield in wider Europe. Um, and you want to hear about a dedicated unified comms and cloud conference that's happening on the 24th of October. Uh, our main organiser for that uh, is Andrew Price, who edits this uh, very episode, uh, a member of the UC Architects, uh, and he'll be joined by a bunch of MVPs and others from across the community with a wide range of sponsors uh, who are helping us put on UC Day. Uh, that's happening in the heart of the UK, uh, just up the road from me, uh, at the National Conference Centre in Birmingham uh, on yeah, the 24th of October. Uh, and we've also got Unity Connect uh, in uh, Harlem. Uh, am I saying this right, Dave? In Harlem or Harlem in the Netherlands? <laughs> Harlem. That's that's what I meant. Uh, Harlem. <laughs> uh, and that is happening on uh, 16th date to the 18th of November, and that's got quite a few UC architects amongst others. Uh, I'm speaking there. Michael Van Horenbeek is speaking there. Uh, Andrew Price again is speaking there. Tom Arbuthnot is speaking there uh, as well. Uh, there's a whole range of MVPs. Some of them are also at UC Day as well, uh, but that is not just uh, UC focused. That is really covering the whole of Office 365, SharePoint, and all those other services. Uh, the other one we've got to mention today uh, is for August the 28th to the first uh, of September, uh, and that is VMworld. We've never mentioned VMworld ever, ever, ever on this show before. Uh, and they have a session from Adam Ball on Skype for Business and Virtualization, uh, and he's asked us to mention it. So if you're going to VMworld, uh, then you want to check that out, out that session. Generally, I don't see why you'd be going to VMworld because it's VMware is a dead technology compared to Hyper-V and Azure. Not biased or anything. <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, VMworld is happening uh, then, and it has a Skype for Business session. Uh, any other events, guys, that I've missed? Uh, I was yeah. going to say, I think we're getting, I think we're getting closer to uh, IT Dev connections as well. Are you uh, yeah. going to that one, Steve or Dave? Uh, I am not. Uh, no, I, I am not as well. So yeah, I had to choose between 
between Ignite or IT Dev Connections. So. so, yeah, well mentioned. Okay, IT Dev Connections is happening again in Las Vegas at the uh, Aria Resort um, in Las Vegas. And that is, again, October 10th to the 13th. That's an amazing venue. Uh, that was actually that uh that venue itself uh was in the film last vegas so if you want to check out the hotel and conference center that it's based at check out that film plus it's in las vegas so yeah um yeah I'm, I, there's a reason why i didn't mention it i was just like wanted to put it to the back of my head uh, of great places that i'm not going to this year uh and with that i'm gonna thank dave for joining me this evening and gareth thank you for joining us Finally, after months of us saying, let's get you on the show, uh, we had to actually start doing the podcast again first. Uh, I want to thank Andrew in advance for putting together this podcast. And finally, before you go, as ever, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website today at www.theucarchitects.com or follow us on Facebook. Twitter at the UC Architects. Be a friend and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the UC Architects. Or join our group, the UC Architects, on LinkedIn. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you'll find us on the iTunes Store, you'll find us on um, Stitcher, uh, or in your favourite RSS feed or podcast downloader. So see our website for links to everything on the show today, and we'll see you back in a few weeks' time for the next episode with Pat Hosting. Thanks for listening.